Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. That prayer starts with uh, uh, the phrase, Our Father. It is directed to God as our Father. And you know, Psalm 65, uh, verse 2 especially, it talks about Him being the God who hears prayers, and to Him, all humanity comes with their petitions. It really is all about Him, uh, our Father. Uh, who is in heaven. And um, I wanted to talk about him, our father. Uh, you know, his introduction to us comes right at the start. Jesus' Jesus' Jesus's ministry is about to be introduced to the world and we hear the clarion call of John the Baptist as he, in the wilderness, announces the introduction of Jesus' ministry. Matthew, the third chapter and the second verse, the famous phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he announces. I like the way the Amplified Classic puts it. Uh, Matthew, the third chapter and the second verse. The Bible says, repent, think differently, change your mind, regretting your sins and changing your conduct for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wrapped in that seemingly simple phrase was really a revolution. Uh, it was introducing a completely new way of living, a completely new way of relating to each other, a completely new way of thinking. And critically, it was introducing a completely new way of relating to God. It was seismic, revolutionary. Because you see, the people that he was speaking to had always known God. Uh, uh, don't forget, uh, Abraham was the father of their faith. And Abraham had known God. And God had chosen their nation as his chosen, as his special people. And, and as a result of that, they had a relationship with God of sorts. But then it was a relationship where God was distant. And he was uh, a God who was afar off. They understood that he had power. They understood that um, he, he was awesome. Uh, they understood that. But then their relationship with him was as a, a patriarchal God who was far off. Their scriptures that, that help us understand this relationship. This relationship where God was, was distant. He was stern. Um, he would judge you if you did anything wrong. You couldn't afford to make a mistake. But they appreciated his provision and his protection. But they would rather he stayed far away. For they were, in a sense, afraid of him. And, and, and this, this, this account in Exodus, the 20th chapter... Verses 18 and 19 helps us understand their relationship with God. Since when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, 
they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. That was their relationship with him. That this God who appears with thunder and the blast of ram's horns and flashes of lightning and the mountain on which he appears has smoke billowing from it. And the Bible says they were trembling with fear. They said to Moses, you know what? You speak to him and whatever he tells you, come and tell us. What were they saying? We are afraid of this God. We don't understand him. He might judge us. He seems quite harsh, but he, his protection we need, his provision we need. So you just relate to him on our behalf. You seem to understand him. This mountain, he said, we shouldn't touch. If not, we will die. You have gone up the mountain. So you relate to him and tell us what he wants us to do. We will do what he wants us to do. But coming close to him, we can't do that because we are afraid of this God. And that really was their relationship with him all through the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist introduces Jesus. The kingdom of God, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to each other, and critically, a new way of relating to God has come. And the way that Jesus introduced most of the religious hierarchy just simply could not cope with it. The concept of God as a father. It was revolutionary that God is a caring, loving, compassionate, merciful father. That God is a God who pours out on his children an abundance of grace. That he is our father. The concept was mind-blowing for them. They just couldn't accept it. So much so that they wanted to kill Jesus for even suggesting that this God who was so large and who created the heavens and the earth could actually be their father. Listen to what happens, what they say in John's Gospel, the 5th chapter and the 17th and 18th verse. Jesus replied to them, My father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the hard, harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Uh, they just couldn't accept it, that God is his father, and he's saying God is our father. That they couldn't accept what Jesus had come to introduce. This God as a father who wanted a loving, intimate relationship with his children. The psalmist got a glimpse of God as this father who wanted an intimate relationship with his children. He says in Psalms 103 verse 13, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And you know, if there's one thing that Jesus did, his coming, it was to introduce the world to not, not just to God. Some people already knew God, but it was to introduce the world to God as a father. 
introduce those who would accept him, Jesus, into their hearts, to his Father, and to this caring, compassionate, merciful, loving God, who was also their Father, my Father, your Father, and who wanted an intimate relationship with us. That's one of the reasons he went to the cross. Because prior to that, our relationship with God was from a distance. He went to the cross to reconcile us to God as our Father. The Bible says in Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 15 to 16, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That is one of the most powerful and compelling scriptures in the Bible. That part of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and when he was resurrected was that he reconciled us to God. He brought us back to our Father. Uh, we have gone astray in sin. We have become slaves to sin. But then he became sin on the cross took on the, the, the wrath of God so that the price for our sin was paid. And when we accept him, he literally holds our hands and takes us back home and introduces us, reconciles us to God as our father. And because, of course, the mind has been battered, the psyche has been battered, guess what happens? He puts his spirit in us. And so his spirit in us confirms to our spirit. You know, we, we need to know that we have been adopted, that we are part of the family, that we have the rights of children of the family, that we are joint heirs with Christ, that the whole of God's inheritance is ours. But you know, when you've been a slave, your mind has been battered, your psyche has been battered, your esteem has been battered. You have been demeaned by, by the slave driver that Satan is. You have been humiliated. So that when something like that happens, in reality it has happened. You've been adopted into the family. The papers have been signed. It was signed and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But guess what? Your mind can accept it. Your psyche is still used to being a slave. So God goes one step further. That is God showing us what grace is. He puts his spirit in us. So his spirit confirms to our spirit that what you have heard is true. You really are adopted. You're no longer a slave to sin. God has paid the price by through the death of his son to your slave master and has now taken you, signed adoption papers, and sealed it with the blood of Jesus, and now brought you into his family. So he is now your father. So your spirit, your spirit receives this confirmation from the spirit of God. And then it tells your soul, tells your person that you are no longer a slave. You are a child of God. He is your father. And then the Bible says, we then let out a cry, a cry that says we now recognize this truth. Abba Father, dear Father, an intimate cry from the depths of our beings as we acknowledge that he is our Father. I like the way 
the Passion Translation puts it, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. And that's really what it was, that God paid a price to buy us back into his family. You, you don't have to ever feel again that you're never good enough. You are good enough for God. Your father says you are good enough for him. The Bible says you have received the spirit of full acceptance. He accepts you. He has enfolded you into his family. He says you will never feel orphaned because his spirit rises within us, confirms to our spirit and joins our spirit in saying those words of tender affection, beloved father. What a privilege. What an awesome privilege. And this privilege is captured by the Apostle John in such strong and poetic language in 1 John, the third chapter and the first verse. This is what the Bible says. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. The Bible says, look with wonder, be amazed, be, be speechless, look with incredulity. And you just can't, you can't comprehend it. Why would God, after all I have done, after all I have been, why would he show me this manner of love, this marvelous love that he has lavished on us? He's called us and made us his very own children. What an amazing privilege that you and I have. And guess what? You and I should just luxuriate and enjoy this privilege that is lavished on us. But there is a challenge. There is an enemy, an adversary, who is determined that we mustn't fully embrace this truth that we are fully accepted into God's family, that he's not setting any standards for us to be his children. As long as we have received his son, Jesus, we are his children. His spirit confirms it to us. But the enemy is determined that he must somehow adulterate this truth. And that is the challenge. Because you see, we live in an imperfect and dysfunctional world. And the, the, the way God has wired it, we should have people who model at a very, very, very reduced level what a good father is. So that when we are introduced to him as father, we embrace him wholeheartedly. But you and I know that that's not the case. You and I know that even the best of fathers at the best of times, is still so far from God as Father. And then, of course, we have many who are not the best of fathers, many who have not been good fathers or good father figures. 
They have abandoned their children. They haven't been there at all. They have been irresponsible fathers. They have been unkind. They've neglected the children that God gave them. Natural children in a lot of instances, but sometimes even spiritual children. They have rejected them. They have abused them. Abused them physically. Abused them mentally. Abused them emotionally. They, they are fathers who have vented their frustrations and continue to vent their frustrations on their children. Fathers who have been not just angry at one occasion, but a continuous outpouring of anger is all that the children have experienced. Fathers who have mocked and taunted their children. Fathers who haven't protected their children. And you know the result of all that? All this emotional dysfunction? All this, all this pain that is the result of an imperfect and dysfunctional world? And all these things accentuated by our enemy because he wants to adulterate the term father so that we can never fully embrace or fully understand a loving, caring, compassionate, merciful father in heaven. The result is that children can grow up blaming themselves for their father's failure. You know what? Some are even ashamed and feel stigmatized because of a father, natural or spiritual, father figure who has failed in his responsibilities and duties but has stigmatized a child. The result of all this is that we carry wounds around in our hearts and herein lies the problem. A son who has never had a father say, well done, I'm proud of you, will probably have a wound in his heart. A father who has never been there will create wounds in the heart. A father who has been there, but he might as well not have been there, will create wounds in his heart. A father who has been unkind, who has been abusive, who has, who has, who has spewed out anger, uh, will create wounds in the heart. And you see, once there are wounds in the heart, it will affect how we live, but crucially, it will also affect our relationship with God. We have to let God heal our hearts. Because until our hearts are healed, we are hampered in our relationship with our Father in heaven. Because somehow, we see him through the lenses of a flawed father, a flawed father figure. And you know what? Even when our fathers have been good, when we see him through those lenses, it has a way of limiting what he is to us as our father because we are benchmarking him against a good father. And so whatever it is that is in our hearts, whether it's a wound or whether we are wearing the wrong lenses so that we can't fully embrace God as father because we see him through colored lenses or we are living life with a wound in our hearts. God wants to heal you. He wants to change those lenses so that you can see him as he is. The psalmist says in Psalms 34 verse 18, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. 
Psalms 147 verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. I want to ask if you will allow the Spirit of God this Sunday morning to come into your heart. If you will allow the Spirit of God to do a work in your heart, maybe there is a wound. And you know, we sometimes don't even accept it to ourselves. It's almost like it's something that has happened. We lock it up in a closet and we want to throw the key away. That is good when it has been dealt with and the wound is no longer there. But if we don't allow God by his spirit to deal with it, we carry the wound around in life. And the truth is that it hampers everything. It colors our perspective on life. It colors our other relationships. And oftentimes, it colors our relationships with other father figures who God might have brought our way to be a blessing to us. I'm just asking if you will allow the Spirit of God, open up that closet and let the Spirit of God come in and do a, a healing work, start a healing work of those wounds. And if you don't have wounds and you have been seeing God through the lenses of a natural father, break those limitations. Because as good as he is, he is nowhere near God as your father. You know, I want you to know that this God, who's your father, he wants to love you intimately. He cares about you. He's passionate about you. He's already sorted it out so that you never have to try to earn the love. It's completely unconditional. He wants you to experience it in reality. He wants to enfold you into his family. He knew what you would be going through, what you would have gone through. He's already made provision for it. That's the God that we serve. But you know what? He's also a gentleman. If you won't invite him in, he won't come in. He wants you to invite him in. This God is a good, good father. I pray that you will open up your heart and allow this good, good father to not just come in there, but to make himself at home in there. He's a good, good father.